Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of True Crime IRL. True crime in real life. This is a new limited series called The Manchester Mysteries. You'll still be getting real-life stories of crime and unsolved cases, but all wrapped up in a very different package. This season, I'm concentrating on the captivating stories that have come out of one particular small Midwestern town called Manchester. Manchester is both weird and wonderful, with a full cast of interesting characters who have some unique stories to tell. I'll be presenting you with tales of murder, mayhem, and crimes of passion. And I'll be bringing you everything from missing persons cases to questionable suicides, and even a homicide that went unsolved for 40 years. There'll be an element of local folklore to some of our tales, but also a healthy dose of science, DNA technology, forensics, history, government, law, and so much more. And yes, it's all out of one little community in small town America. If you think you had our country's heartland all figured out, well, guess again, because I'll be bringing you stories this season that would make Ted Bundy blush. Season two of True Crime IRL, The Manchester Mysteries, debuts January 14th, 2022, and is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Until then, lock your doors, people, even if, or especially if, you live in Manchester. You're listening to Season 2 of True Crime IRL, The Manchester Mysteries. Although this series is based 100% on factual events, keep in mind that at times we've changed the names of people or places in order to protect the innocent, or in some cases, the guilty. Episode 10, Michelle's Murder. In the last episode, friends of Michelle were helping to build the timeline of events that took place the night she was murdered. We have a really good idea of the ballpark of when she was last seen, and today we're going to move forward farther into that timeline and hear more about Michelle Martinko's activity on that fateful night. Room. Uh, Mr. Seidel has resumed his seat on the witness chair, and we are ready to hear cross-examination. Mr. Spees, go ahead. The state called to the stand Michelle's former boyfriend, Charles Andy Seidel. Remember, Michelle's murder was very brutal. It seemed to investigators at the time that the attack could have been personal. Many in Michelle's circle felt as though such an appalling crime could have been committed by Andy. After all, he was known to be a little possessive, and witnesses would state that he was not taking his breakup with Michelle very well at all. And if you remember the details I told you in an earlier episode, Andy Seidel had some very interesting behavior at Michelle's funeral. A friend would say that he practically climbed into the casket with her. He was crying and carrying on, and he demanded from friends, who did she love when she died? Was it me or someone else? 
but DNA would end up officially clearing him. Pay attention to the tone in this interview. After decades of being the main person of interest in his girlfriend's murder, he's probably not the happiest guy and probably not super happy to be in a trial. And I probably wouldn't be either. Here's Andy Seidel. Mr. Seidel, uh, you've given us a kind of a broad picture of your relationship with Ms. Martinko. In December of 1979, were you you and she kind of comfortable with the status of your relationship? That is, you were going your separate ways? Uh, Yes. And you still continue to communicate, though, as friends. Is that a fair characterization of it? I'd say that's accurate, yes. Uh, You weren't upset with her or she wasn't uh, upset with you? No. Okay. Were you feeling sick the week before December 19th? I, I, there's no way I can recall that. <laughs> okay. Do you remember being interviewed at the Lynn County Courthouse in, in Cedar Rapids? I think so, yes. All right. And before you came into court here today, did you have a chance to look through this transcript? I did. Okay. I'm going to ask you just a few questions about some of the things that you were asked back in 1981 and see if that helps you remember, all right? Okay. Were you asked about how you were feeling the week before December 19th, December 18th. Yeah, I don't remember. Did you tell the investigators at that time in 1981 that you've been suffering from the flu? Is it in the document? I can say that it is, yes. Importantly, uh, were you feeling well enough, though, on December 18th to go to the mall uh, to do some Christmas shopping? Yes. And in fact, you went to the mall and you encountered Ms. Martingo there, just as you've told the men and women of the jury? Yes. All right. In the week before that, did Ms. Martinko tell you that she said that someone had been watching her, following her out of the store that she was working in, and that she was worried about that? I don't recall that. Do you remember reading it in your preparation for your testimony today, reading the transcript? I might have. Again, I didn't scrutinize the material that closely. Yeah, maybe this is true. There was no alarm bells going off in my mind that she was under any threat. And uh, tell us what you said back then about the concern that Ms. Martinko had that she told you, starting with the question and your answer starting at line five. Line five. Uh, Did she ever tell you that anyone was, was ever watching her or following her out of Brooks? where she was working. Yes, as a matter of fact, she did. She mentioned that there was someone that had been watching her out there. Did she describe the person? She said, yes. Uh, The guy was grotesquely ugly. She did seem intensely bothered during that week because she was quiet, really quiet, and did not have a whole lot to say to me during the week before her death. Thank you. Those are all the questions I have. The state may call its next witness. The state calls Kurt Thomas. Kurt Thomas was a friend of Michelle's. He spent the largest amount of time with Michelle on the evening of her murder. He worked at the mall, and Michelle hung out with him on his 40-minute break. He actually walked Michelle to the door of the mall, watched her bundle up, and they said their goodbyes as she stepped out into the night for one final time. Where were you living then on or about uh, December of 1979, if you remember? In Cedar Rapids. In December of 1979, so 
to the best of your recollection, how old were you? I was 16. I just started my junior year at Washington High School. I had just transferred. Were you working too? Yes, sir. Where were you working? I was working at a store called the Chess King as Christmas help at the uh, new mall. Um, did you know uh, a person named Michelle Martinko then? Yes, I did. Can you tell us uh, about how you got to know her? I uh, got in some very, very minor trouble at school, I think being late or something, and I was going to have to go to detention. And a teacher named Mr. Irby that ran the uh, theatrics, mm -hmm. he gave me the option of going to uh, be in the play. Okay. You were punished by being put in the play? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Tell us more then. Is that how you got to know Michelle? Yes, sir. So I was doing what I had done several times before, but all of a sudden it's the first rehearsal, and boom, Michelle shows up. And she had this incredible smile, and she just started talking to me. I think she could tell. I mean, I was, she was a big girl. I was a, you know, a sophomore. So she started chit-chatting with me and stuff like that. I remember standing there the first time she came out for dress rehearsal in the costume the costume that she was going to wear did you talk to her like during the play then like what yeah. you guys were mm -hmm. yeah when we're waiting i mean we got more and more friendly every time then i switched schools and when i ran into michelle she was like where'd you go okay <laughs> it was like i disappeared and uh she invited me to a party she was leaving the restaurant i was coming in saw each other and she just was like hey by the way there's a party gave me the address and so you ended up going out to that party that yes night? i did um, with a friend and you, you see her there yes i did um, when you saw her um i mean did she always talk to you yes i mean she always starts out with a big smile and a very friendly welcome um when i showed up at the party i asked for her and she came up smiling and and greeted me so after that party did you have a chance to run into her again I ran into her on December 19th. Let's talk about December 19th, 1979. What were you doing that night? I was working at the Chess King, and our store didn't have that much foot traffic. I was standing six inches out into the lane of the mall, just okay. standing there waiting for a customer to come along. Michelle walked up, and I saw her. At the time she saw me, but I didn't recognize her. I just saw a pretty girl walking, and then I got the smile. Okay. And when I could tell she was smiling and looking at me, it, it hit me, and I thought, oh, wow. And she was really dressed up. What do you mean? What was she wearing? Do you remember? Uh, she was wearing a calico rabbit fur coat and a uh, high heels and a, a black dress, all decked out, hair done up. Her hair was always done up, though. Did you interact with her then? Oh, yes. She was smiling as she was walking up. She was like two stores down when she saw me, Just smiling the whole way, walking up. Then I started smiling, and I was like, hey. You know, I really don't think I knew her last name at that point. I, I mean, I knew her first name. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, Michelle. And, and uh, then I went back, and I talked to her very briefly. And I said I was going to ask for a break would she wait for me? And she said yes. And Michelle had walked over to the right side of the store, and she was standing there waiting for me. And I took a, a 
break with her. Okay. Where'd you guys go? We went to the center of the mall, and I got something to eat. I want to say it was an Orange Julius. Let's talk about what happened on the uh, break with Michelle there um, while you're at the Orange Julius. Did, you, did she spend the, the whole time with you there on the break? Yes. While you, okay. And during that break, um, what uh, observations, if any, did you make of her uh, demeanor that night, how she was acting, basically? Very friendly at first. Then I was asking her questions about the party that she had invited me to. She said she was looking forward to graduating and going to Iowa State. You said friendly at first. Did her demeanor change? Um, well, our conversation started out chit-chatty. When we sat down with the food, the mm -hmm. first thing I asked her was, what happened with that guy at the party? Okay. So it was a pretty pointed question, and she answered and said she wasn't dating him anymore and that she had dated another guy and he wasn't much better. I, I dated that guy, it didn't work out, and I dated another guy, and that really wasn't working out. And I couldn't figure out whether or not she was talking past, present, or whatever, but it wasn't enthusiastic. Did she seem particularly bothered or concerned about uh, either of these gentlemen? No. Okay. No. Uh, dismissive. Did you see anybody else you knew while you were talking to Michelle? I saw Blair Gaunt. Blair was black tie. I mean, he was really dressed up like he was going to an opera. And I said, oh, there's Blair. And she immediately said, yeah, he was at the banquet, the choir banquet that she had said she had ditched from. Okay. And there were more people that you saw that were coming from the banquet? A group of guys were walking on the upper level, and they, too, were dressed up and young. They were all standing out. They were all overdressed for the mall because okay. of what they had been at. Mm -hmm. And... As I was looking at him, Michelle just popped up and said, oh, it looks like it's either over or everybody's ditching. Now, what did you do then after the uh, break uh, from with her at the Orange Julius? What did you guys do? We were having a good, friendly conversation, but then I realized I was going to be late getting back from break. And so I told her that we had I had to go. Uh, we got up and went immediately downstairs, and we walked back to the store. And my manager is just trying to check people out. So I instantly am thinking, oh, I got to get back into the store. And were you late from your break, too? <laughs> yes, I was. Okay. But Michelle said she was going to leave. So we walked past the store. We turned to the first exit past my store, and we walked up to the door. She said she was going to go, and I said I had to go, but we were, like, we were talking like, don't be a stranger. And she started bundling up to go outside. I turned to go into the back. There's a service hallway that runs behind all the stores. And when I would come into the mall, I would immediately go in that service thing because that time card that we punched to go in and out of break and, and whatever, that, it was at that back end of the store. So I said goodbye to Michelle, and I turned and went in that door, and Michelle left the mall. I guess my last question for you is, you know, you've given us a lot of detail here today about your interaction with Michelle, and, and you, when you saw her, you believed she was leaving. Uh, how is it that you remember these events so clearly? There's things in your life that happen that you just don't forget. And 
the next day, I didn't know what happened, and I was at school at Washington, and the principal walked in with two guys wearing suits, which immediately caught everybody in the class's attention. They asked my teacher something, and she pointed to me. The principal called me up front and asked me to go out into the hallway with the two guys in the suits. They identified themselves as detectives from the Cedar Rapids Police Department, and they said they wanted to talk to me about what I did last night. That They didn't weren't any more specific than that. And I'm a kid talking to two guys in a suit. And so I'm just like, what? They asked me if I worked at the mall, when I worked at the mall, and they said, we need to talk to you down at the police department. And at that point, you're just like, whoa. But I still didn't know why. I remember it like it's all somewhat, there's huge blocks of it that I see so clearly in my mind. And it hasn't been colored. It hasn't been exaggerated at all. I remember that night. I remember Michelle, uh, her smile, um, the goodbye smile. I mean, it's, it's affected my entire life. When they're talking to you about what happened and you're focused on that, and then at some point, and I don't actually remember when, I realized it was about Michelle. And it just sucks the breath out of your lungs. And you're you're standing there and, and just everything's going on. And I was at the police department. There was moments that they talked to me and then long moments that they didn't. I just sat there. Surreal wasn't a word I knew back then, but, you know, you're just, wow. And... I didn't feel stressed. You know, Michelle was not somebody that I knew really, really well. So for me, it's facts. Facts about what happened. I mean, you know, it's just something that you remember. Thanks, Mr. Thomas. That's all I have for now. Okay. Cheryl Anders went to school with Michelle, and she was at the mall the night of Michelle's murder. Michelle walked past Cheryl before heading inside for some quick shopping. She very well may have been the last person to see Michelle alive. The state may call its next witness. Thank you, Your Honor. The state calls Cheryl Anders. Did you know a fellow Kennedy student uh, by the name of Michelle Martenko at that time? Yes. How did you know her? Just from choir. We weren't friends or anything, just from choir. What do you remember about her? Real pretty, blonde hair, and she had a rabbit fur coat that I wanted so bad. Okay. (laughs) Did you know Michelle well enough to recognize her by sight when you saw her? Oh, yes. Did you have an opportunity to be at the Westdale Mall on December 19th, 1979? Yes. Why were you there, if you recall? I was just there hanging. I was getting ready to go buy some presents, and then I was standing outside smoking a cigarette, but... All right. So you weren't in the mall yet, but you were having smoke. Okay. Do you remember uh, about what time in the evening it was when you got there? Was it pretty late or? Yeah, it was pretty late. I'd say be between nine and ten, close to closing time. And we did hear uh, just a little bit ago that closing time was around ten. So is that what you recall? Yeah. Um, As you were uh, getting ready to go in the mall that night, did you see anything that indicated the mall was getting ready to be closed down for the night? Yes, there was a couple stores in there that had the, their chains or whatever you call them, the little gates closing. All right, so you could tell the mall was getting ready to close? Yeah, yes. Okay, thank you, Cheryl. That's all I have for now. Thank you. Cross-examination, Mr. Spees. Yes, thank you. Good afternoon, ma'am. Hi. Um, Ms. Anders, 
You saw Ms. Uh, Martinko uh, coming out where you've described the men and women of the jury. It's your recollection that she was carrying a package or packages. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Do you know if they were in bags or? They were in bags. Okay. And it looked like she was in a, in a hurry, as you said, kind of in a trot. Yes, sir. Cold that night, wasn't it? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. I'm sure it was. I mean, it's December. <laughs> all right. Thank you. That's all I have for you. Redirect for Ms. Anders, Mr. Maybanks. Uh, Cheryl, when you saw these bags, uh, could you tell if it was bags or a purse or? Sorry, it looked like a shopping bag. Okay. All right. Did you remember anything else specific about it? No. All right. Thank you. Phoebe Smith worked at the mall, and although she was a few years older than Michelle, she knew who Michelle was. Phoebe's younger sister went to school with Michelle, and they were friends. Phoebe recalls seeing Michelle's car in the mall parking lot late on the night of December 19, 1979. The state may call its next witness. State calls uh, Phoebe Smith. Good afternoon. Where are you from, from originally, Ms. Smith-Porter? Cedar Rapids, Iowa. All right. And were you living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa in December of 1979? Yes. How old would you have been in uh, December of 1979? I'm putting you to the test. <laughs> okay, I think I would have been maybe 19 or 20 years old. And if you remember at that time, were you in school or were you working? I was out of school for the time being, and I was working. Okay. Where were you working? Pier 1 Imports at West Delma. All right. And so we heard some testimony earlier in this case that around December 19th of 1979, uh, the date in question in this case, that the mall was closing around 10 o'clock for the Christmas season. Does that sound? Uh, that sounds right. And this process that you just described involving closing down the store, how long does that take? If, if I remember correctly, um, I was typically leaving there between 10.30 and 11, some, somewhere in that, that area. On or about December 19th in 1979, did you know a person by the name of Michelle Martenko? Yes, I did. How did you know Michelle? Michelle attended Kennedy High School and Harding Junior High with my younger sister, Catherine. And did you know Michelle personally or just through your sister? Mainly through my sister, not really a personal relationship. But I knew her to speak to her and wave and that sort of thing. So you recognized her then uh, if you'd see her? She was very recognizable. Okay. All right. Were you familiar with the vehicle that she drove at that time? Yes. Um, and In fact, that was the one thing that really stood out in my mind about Michelle, when when I would when I learned of this um, issue, yeah. um, that's what I remembered. Okay, all right, and so we're going to show you a photograph that's okay. been previously introduced and received into evidence as State's Exhibit Four C. It's going to appear in that TV right behind you here okay. in a moment. And do you recognize what's contained in this photograph? Yes. Does that look like the uh, car that Michelle Martinko was known to drive on or about December nineteenth, nineteen seventy nine? Yes, it does. So were you uh, closing the Pier 1 imports on that night? Yes, I was. All right. Um, after you close down everything inside and you exit the building, I typically parked in the same place every time because I just kind of for safety purposes. And, um, 
and drop off the garbage. And then I would drive my car around to the, um, I believe it was the People's Bank that's in the perimeter of the mall. They had a building, and that's where we would dro- I would drop off the money till. And is that what you did on that night? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you were uh, driving to make the bank deposit, do you remember seeing uh, Michelle's car? The yes? Yes. Okay. And obviously we have a big marking here, but can you give us kind of an idea where you remember seeing her vehicle? I just remember it was extremely cold. Um, and I don't like the cold, so that, you know, something to keep in my mind. Um, but... <laughs> it was just kind of out there by itself, and judging by the time that I was leaving and knowing the few cars that were in the parking lot, it just seemed out of place. So, was it um, was it in the vicinity here that's marked Michelle McNichols parking spot where yes. you saw it? Okay. And you said that stuck out to you because it seemed out of place for the time. Because anyone that actually worked in this area of the, the mall or like, like myself. We all kind of parked, you know, in close proximity to the buildings because we did leave it home. And when you saw that vehicle, did that stand out to you as, oh, that's Michelle's I just remember that it looked like Michelle's car, uh, Michelle's parents' car. Uh, but then I didn't think anything more about it. And when you thought about the next day, did you decide to tell somebody that what you had seen? Yes, yes, I did. Based upon your uh, description of the um, amount of time it took to close and um, the mall closing at 10 o'clock, approximately what time do you think you would have seen Michelle? I'm thinking this would have been, it, it would have had to have been sometime after 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I would say closer to 11. Well, when you realized that you had seen uh, what you knew as Michelle's parents' car, did you report that to the police? Yes, I did. Okay. Okay, that's all the questions I have. Thank you. All right. Mr. Spees, do you have cross-examination? Very briefly. Good afternoon, ma'am. Good afternoon. Ma'am, when you saw the uh, car uh, that you just described for the men and women of the jury and for us, did you see anybody walking around that area? No, I did not. Um, no other activity in that vicinity? No. D- you didn't see Michelle Martinko in the mall that night, though, did you? I honestly don't remember that. Um, I, I could have, but I, I don't recall it specifically, okay. no. Were there uh, restaurants or nightclubs that she liked to frequent that you had seen her at? Mm-hmm. Yes. And what were some of those? The, there's one, um, Os- I think it's Oscars. Oscars? I'm pretty sure that's it, Yes. And was Oscars a, a nightclub? Yes, dancing and that sort of thing. Had you ever seen her at a place called the Gin Mill? I probably could have. Or the uh, Gatsby's? Yes, probably there too. Thank you so much. You're no, welcome. No other questions. Okay. Redirect Mr. Maybanks. No, Your Honor. Thank you, Ms. Porter Smith. You're excused. You may step down. All right. What are you doing on Saturday, April 16th? Nothing? Something? 
cancel your plans and come hang out with Captain from True Crime Garage, Bob Ruff from Truth and Justice, and me, Kelly from True Crime IRL. That's right, Saturday, April 16th, doors open at 7 p.m., show is at 7.30. We're going to be live at the Wealthy Theater in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You're not going to want to miss this unique and one-of-a-kind event. We always have a phenomenal time at these live shows, and we're going to be doing a meet and greet afterwards. You're really not going to want to miss it. So again, that's Saturday, April 16th in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Wealthy Theater. You can buy tickets at CaptainFatHands.com slash events, or you can go to True Crime IRL for more info as well. But again, buy tickets at CaptainFatHands.com slash events. Until next time, lock your doors, people. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mike Wyrick was another former boyfriend of Michelle's, and investigators had their suspicions about him, too. But his alibi was confirmed. He was going to college 100 miles away when Michelle was murdered. Friends corroborated this story. He was eliminated early on as a potential suspect. And again, his DNA did not match the crime scene, so we know he wasn't there. Before we have the jury join us. Your Honor, the state calls Mike Wyrick. Where did you go to high school? Kennedy High School. And what year did you graduate? 79. Speaking of 1979, uh, we're going to bring you back there uh, for a moment. We had uh, several witnesses testify yesterday um, that knew Michelle Martinko. And so my question for you first is, uh, what were you doing uh, you know, in your life on or about December of 1979? Well, I was a student at Iowa State University. Did you know a person by the name of Michelle Martinko? I did. We all were just spending time around each other doing this play, and uh, I had gotten to know her a little bit, but how I got to know her better, really, is she had one of her friends, somebody that was in her class, class of 80, and I don't really remember who it was, tell me that if I hadn't asked anybody to prom, I should probably ask her to prom, that that would probably go pretty well for me. Did you ask her? I did. It, I didn't do a very good job. Oh. Uh, I stumbled around a lot. I was pretty shy and, um, you know, not very socially mature at that point, but I finally got it done, and she said yes. Oh, so despite your shyness and yeah. awkwardness, she yeah. said yes? Okay. Yeah. So was it during the play Pippin then when you first met and started talking to Michelle? Yes. I mean, I'd seen her around. You couldn't go to Kennedy and not have seen her, really. That was would have been hard. Um, so I'd seen her around, and she was on the choir band end of the building more than the sports end, and so was I. You know, I knew her to see her, but I didn't really get to know her until we were in that play together because she was a year behind me and I was mostly hanging out with people in my own class. Okay. Well, after you guys went to prom, did you, um, um, did your relationship continue? 
Yeah, and actually, you know, once I'd asked her, we started dating even before that. We'd gone out a couple times before prom then, in groups and by ourselves and just whatever. But yeah, we, we pretty much started seeing each other right away after I was able to clear that first hurdle. So for how long do you think uh, you continued to regularly date Michelle? Well, throughout the whole summer, and then at the end of summer, of course, I left to go to Iowa State, and, you know, it was different than today at that point where uh, it's expensive uh, phone calls and very, very slow snail mail letters were your only real means of communication, and so we were writing each other and talking on the phone when we could, but we were both broke all the time, and so it was um, not as much as maybe we would have liked. Um, when you went away to college then, um, what happened to the, your relationship with Michelle g gradually and over time? Well, yeah, I mean, she'd come to see me one weekend. Uh, there was a, a concert in Ames. It was the band Kansas, and she had come over and spent the weekend, and we hung out all weekend. That was in early October, I believe, we had decided. And um, But then after that, it's like the long-distance thing was getting to be harder and harder over time. And uh, I had come back at some point probably in mid-November to Cedar Rapids, I'd been able to catch a ride back with somebody, and I wasn't able to get together with her that whole weekend, and I just couldn't uh, get her on the phone, or just nothing worked out, and so I'd talk to her after that and just realized that things, we were kind of drifting apart a little bit, that the long distance thing was too hard, and so, um, you know, I had a Christmas present for her. Uh, it wasn't much. I'd bought her the, uh, an album, you know, again, it's different than today, but I bought <laughs> her an album and had a note for her and was ready to give her that. When I came back, I was hoping to see her at least, but um, I would think that we were not a couple anymore. We were just, uh, I think, going to be friends more. In fact, um, when you became aware that you might become a witness in this case, did you find something that you... Um, crafted for her? Yeah, it's funny. It was I was not actually looking for stuff for this. For this, I was looking for my um, social security card to get my gold star driver's license that you need to update to now. And in digging through some papers, I found a note that I had written her and clearly had never given her since I still had it that just basically said, well, it said I love you at the beginning, but the middle of it was like we can't be a couple anymore. We should just try to be friends and see each other and then love Mike at the end. Generally speaking, what kind of person was Michelle? Well, she was, um, I mean, uh, again, it was hard to miss her, but I don't want people to misunderstand. Uh, you see the big blonde hair, and I don't want people to think that she was a dumb blonde. Uh, she was definitely more mature and more sort of common sensey smart than I was. She was smarter than me, too. So she was sharp. She was kind. Um, she was emotional. Uh, she was generally happy and light. But there were some things that uh, could bother her. If th those things happened, then she was mercurial and would um, be pouty or sad or whatever it was. Okay. Mike, we can tell you grew up because you just admitted that a woman is smarter than you. Yeah, well, <laughs> most of them are, I think, right? <laughs> I agree. Um, do you remember then around the time of December 19th, 1979? Yeah. In 
for the record, where were you on that uh, day into or that day into the night into the next day? Yeah, I had classes that day, and then. Uh, although this wasn't uh, always the case, I do remember I was doing homework uh, in the early part of the evening, and then, um, you know, it was almost midterms, and so there were probably assignments that were due for the middle of that um, semester. Later, I was uh, hanging out with my roommate and some other friends from our dorm floor, listening to music and just hanging out. And is that when you received word then about what had occurred? Well, I didn't find out, of course, until the next morning. And a mutual friend of uh, Michelle's and mine that was had also gone to Iowa State, her name is Sherry Burns, had heard on the radio that Michelle had been stabbed and um, didn't want me to hear it on the radio or whatever. And so she called to tell me, but she didn't actually say that she'd been killed. So I, um, of course, knew the Martinko's landline by heart. And so I just hung up the phone with Sherry, called the landline, got Mr. Martinko on the phone, asked him if Michelle was okay, and he told me that she was not okay. Mike, uh, did you talk to law enforcement at some point in time around then? I can't remember if it was the very next day, but I was getting ready to go back to Cedar Rapids for Christmas. And so as I could, I got my stuff packed up, went back to my folks's, and uh, the next day then we went down to the police station, and I just said, you're probably going to want to talk to me because I was her boyfriend. And, yeah, so I went down and had a chat with them. And did you tell them that you were obviously away at college when this happened? Yeah. Were you informed that there was a hair that was found in the vehicle that was traced to you? Well, I didn't know until very recently, but yes, I do know that that's the case. And does that surprise you at all? It doesn't surprise me at all. We spent a lot more time in my car than in her car, but we spent a lot of time in cars. Do you remember her car? Yeah, I do, yeah. This is your recollection. It's the kind of big sort of light green Buick. It's huge. And my, you know, mine, what I was driving then was a similar boat shaped vehicle. It was a Dodge Monaco. And so we both had these huge, um, you know, oversized cars from the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Mike, I think that's all the questions I have for now. Thank you. Morning, Mr. Weirich. Morning. You had, had you been in her car, of course, the, uh, the, the boat Buick? Yes, many times. Had you, on those occasions, driven the car yourself, or was Michelle Martinko driving the car? I don't ever remember driving it. How would you uh, characterize her driving? Gosh, um, normal? The reason I ask you that, it, it's, it's no surprise. You were interviewed about this investigation back in 1981, and <clears throat> as I read the interview, you described her as a terrible driver. <laughs> really bad. So would you acknowledge uh, that, at least back then, you characterized her as a really bad or terrible driver? Okay, yeah. I mean, if I said that, I'm sure I meant it back then. I just don't remember. Okay. Uh, things weren't always peaches and cream between the two of you, were they? No. I mean, there was conflicts about other men who she was seeing created some confrontations between you and her? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Weirich. Uh, those are all the questions I have for you. You're welcome. Redirect Mr. Maybanks. Based upon your knowledge of Michelle around that time, were you aware of, of anyone in her life that would um, wish harm upon her or want to hurt her in any way? No, not really. Okay. All right. I have nothing further, Your Honor. State may call its next witness. Thank you, Your Honor. The state calls James Kincaid. Now, fast forwarding a few hours into the night. It was dark. It was late. 
Michelle was due home hours ago. Her parents were searching for her, and they had alerted police that she was missing. And we will hear from James Kincaid, the first responding officer to what they would soon find out was one of the worst crime scenes the town of Cedar Rapids had ever seen. How are you doing today, sir? Good. Uh, what was your occupation or occupations prior to retirement? I was a Cedar Rapids police officer for 32 years. And when did you retire as a Cedar Rapids police officer? Oh, two. I was a patrol officer on the midnight shift. Were you, a, were you also a patrol officer in December of 1979? Yes. Right. Now, Jim, did you work the case involving the murder of Michelle Martinko? Yes, I did. Were you on duty on the night of December 19, 1979? Yes. Now, at some point during your shift, did dispatch send you to the Westdale Mall parking lot? Yes. It was just uh, a few minutes after 4 a.m. Okay. Had there been any prior calls earlier in the night um, involving this call that sent you to uh, Westdale Mall at 4 a.m.? I vaguely remember the attempt to locate going out. Uh, I think it was around 2 o'clock. Now, when dispatch asked you to go to the Westdale Mall parking lot shortly after 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, what reason did they give you? Uh, they gave me a description of a vehicle to see if it was possibly out there. Okay. Did you know why you were going out there at that point? No, I wasn't. Now, when you arrived at the uh, Westdale Mall parking lot, did you observe the car in the parking lot? Uh, eventually, and uh, I saw a couple of vehicles up there that didn't match the description. And uh, then I noticed one in the lower lot that did match the description, so I went down there. There was a gold uh, 72 Buick four-door, and I had the license number, but I don't remember what that was right now. Okay. Did you see any people in the parking lot? Not that I remember. Uh, what were your initial observations when you located uh, Michelle's vehicle? Well, when I first found it, uh, I noticed that it was frosted over. I, I radioed in that I had found the vehicle, and uh, they asked, was it unlocked? So I drove around the vehicle to see if I could see into it. No, uh, it appeared that the vehicle was locked except for the driver's side rear door. That appeared to be, the knob was up, it appeared that it was unlocked. I got out and uh, went over to, to check it, and I opened that back door, and I saw that there was someone partially laying or slouched down in the front passenger side seat. Could you tell what had happened to this person or no. what was going on at that point? No. My first impression was uh, it, it appeared like it was an older woman. And I, my first thought was that somebody's intoxicated and passed out in their car. So what did you do next? I walked around the car to the passenger side front door, and I uh, looked in and, and, and saw Michelle there covered in blood. Okay. It appeared that there were several stab wounds on her chest. Uh, I remember seeing a laceration on her chin. There were no signs of life. She was obviously dead. Her dress was pulled up. She appeared to be fully clothed, but her dress was pulled up around her waist. Describe the clothing that she was wearing. I think it was a, a dress on, pantyhose, that uh, was wearing a rabbit fur coat 
it was obvious she was uh, deceased at that point, and pardon maybe a poor question, but what about it was obvious that she was no longer alive? There was no movement, absolutely no movement. Her eyes were open. Did you observe blood? A lot of blood. Okay. Your Honor, may I approach the witness? You may. Can you describe to us what you're seeing in State's Exhibit 3A? Well, this was the victim slouched down in the seat, covered in blood. Yeah. Is that photo consistent with how you saw Michelle uh, when you looked in through the passenger window? Yes. Jim, as you look at that picture, it's, it's a fairly graphic picture, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Can you tell us what you're looking at in 3B? Well, it appears that it's the rabbit fur coat that she was wearing that night. Can you describe to us how she's positioned? Well, it's hard to tell from this photo. Towards the top of the photo, you see the rabbit fur coat, mm -hmm. and it appears to yes. be her hand. And her left hand. Okay. Is that laying across the seat of the vehicle? Yes. Can you tell us what we're looking at in this picture? Well, that's her, from her waist down, shows her skirt, her skirt or dress pulled up around her waist and uh, her pantyhose. And she appeared to you to be fully clothed? Yes. Uh, what did you do next? Uh, I called for backup. Uh, well, I also called for a commander and uh, identification and detectives. Dispatch was getting curious to what was going on, so they had me go to a payphone and call in. Okay. And why, why is it that you called in on a payphone? We didn't, we didn't have cell phones back then. Okay. Were you concerned about people listening in on the radio? On the radio, yes, of course. Uh, did you touch anything else on the outside of the car? No. Okay. Did you touch the driver's side front door at all? I don't think I did. Okay. Uh, were you ever um, inside the vehicle? No. Did you ever touch the uh, gear shifter um, no. next to the steering wheel? Uh, do you recall if you were wearing gloves that night? No, I don't. I doubt, I doubt that I was. Okay. It, it would have been... It was a cold night, but... You know, when I got out of the car and was out of the car for a while, I probably put my gloves on, but okay. I think when I tried the door the first time, the back door, I don't think I had my gloves on then. Okay. But you never touched the front door, correct? No. Okay. Uh, and the front door handle specifically? No. And did you have any other involvement in the investigation of M Michelle Martinko's death? No. Thank you. No further questions at this time. We know who Michelle was. She was a bright, friendly, caring, loyal, and well-liked high school student at Kennedy High School in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And we know what happened early on in the evening of December 19, 1979. We know Michelle was bundling up and leaving the mall. We know she walked through the parking lot, passing by Cheryl, who was having a smoke break outside. But we don't know what happened between her leaving the mall sometime between 9.30 and 10-ish and when her body would be found by police about six hours later. And that secret would stay under wraps until 2018. What we do know, though, is that the killer left his DNA behind. And our next episode is going to be more about that DNA and the science that was used to solve this case. Now, we've talked about Brandy Jennings, who was the familial DNA match that brought them closer to the Burns family to be able to test Jerry Burns. We heard about her and did an interview with her a while back. But this time, we're going to be focusing on the trial information and all the DNA science that was in the trial. So I will see you next time. Until then, lock your doors, people. Bye-bye.
Crime IRL is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Barron's Brink. Please subscribe to True Crime IRL wherever you get your podcast and consider leaving a five-star review. Go to truecrimeirl.com for more information. Support the show by becoming a Patreon donor. Go to patreon.com slash truecrimeirlpodcast. You can also support the show by leaving a tip in the TCIRL tip jar. Go to truecrimeirl.com and click on the donate button or buy merch in the TCIRL merch shop truecrimeirl.com slash merch. Watch True Crime IRL on YouTube at youtube.com slash kellybrinktv. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at truecrimeirl, all one word. True Crime IRL theme music is produced by the captain at True Crime Garage. 